0: You are listening to the Green Industry Perspectives podcast presented by Single Ops. A podcast created for green industry professionals looking for best practices, tactics, and tips in running their tree care or landscape business. All right, everyone, welcome back to Green Industry Perspectives. I'm your host, Ty Deemer, and we've got an awesome episode planned for you today. We have Monique Allen on the show. Monique is the CEO of the Garden Continuum up in New England, and we're really looking forward to it. Monique, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I, I love the podcast. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So you kind of know the drill. We always start off each uh, episode with the same question and it's in your experience running guarding Continuum, what do you feel like over the years are the top two to three things or common threads that have led to your team's success?
1: Three things really clearly. Self-awareness, unique perspective, and your people. Those three things And it's interesting because I don't think I started the business with those perspectives. I think that's like, you know, looking back and seeing self-awareness is really like that, that daring to work on yourself and really understanding that you're a work in progress as an owner. And that can be a dark, scary tunnel to get stuck in sometimes. But I really feel like for better or for worse, your company gets better when you get better. Mm-hmm. You can do more when you learn more. It's like you can achieve the next level as long as you can expand to meet that level because you can't expand if you don't if you don't look in the mirror. So developing self-awareness is huge, and we actually teach that in the company as well. Unique perspective for me has been really important because I don't have a standard landscape company. I have a, a unique company, it's a boutique company with a, a unique service model. And so I had to be able to think out of the box because I had to attract people Mm -hmm. that wanted that. And so cultivating that unique perspective is also kind of a dark shadowy place because you can get the naysayers and the haters telling you that you can't do that. So you really have to cultivate your courage while you're doing those two things. And then I think the last thing really for me is trusting in your people and Mm -hmm you can't trust in people if you have no trust in yourself. So the first two kind of lead into trusting in your people. And I think as owners, I know for for me, a little controlling and, you know, so you sort of always have to sort of practice this, let go to grow I mentality. And the only Mm -hmm. way you do that is if you can cultivate a trust bond with your people.
0: Great. Yeah. I definitely want to unpack some of those things. So I took a few notes there and we'll be able to talk about that later on. I always like at the beginning of the episodes as well to ask our guests, just kind of share their background, just so the audience has a frame of reference for who we're talking to. So I'd love to hear, you know, how did you get involved with the green industry in the first place and kind of what was your path to eventually starting the garden Continuum?
1: So I started in the green industry when I was 18 and I got a job working on a construction site. Basically what happened was I, I was in college and I was very lost. I had no idea. I had no aspiration except to maybe own a Porsche and be a dancer. You know, (laughs) that was like my aspiration. I was working in a clothing store and I just, I loved fashion and, you know, but like, it just, I, I had no idea. And a friend of mine, I was always kind of a, you know, I was a dancer and at that point I was bodybuilding. So I was, I was kind of, and I was riding a motorcycle. Like I was really living this kind of wacky world. And this guy asked me, If I wanted to come and work with them on the weekend, spreading mulch. And I had no clue what he was talking about, but it was like, okay, why not? I'll get, I'm game. I'll try anything. So I went and honestly, Ty, like within an hour of being on this site, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. I was getting paid double what I was getting paid in the clothing store. And I granted this was in the Mm eighties and I was outside. I was basically getting paid to train. And, and I was having fun. It was just so much fun. And so that's what spurred it on. And then I just made connections through different people. My mom had a lot of connections and I made these different connections and I sort of got these odd jobs. And I ended up meeting this woman, Nan, who changed my life. She uh, was a garden designer, you know, like a Gertrude Jekyll designer, you know, somebody with like amazing plant knowledge and a real love of beauty. And um, she took me under her wing and I learned from her and I'm a first generation Armenian and my father's an immigrant and self-employed. And so I have all that kind of like immigrant energy, you know, got to make my own way. And, and so I really pushed her to grow her business. And, and, you know, she just, she liked her, her gig. She liked what she was doing. She didn't want to do what I wanted to do. So, And we're still connected today, you know, huge love for her. And so I, I kind of went this other way and I started pursuing contractors so that I could do what they didn't do. So I was, this was before perennials were, were like a household word. Mm -hmm. And I was like the flower girl for them. And I would make everything pretty. I would pretty everything up. And that just went really well. I went to school at Northeastern University and got a degree in entrepreneurship and uh, simultaneously uh, started my graduate work before I was graduated from my undergrad and started studying horticulture and design. And I had a company called Second Nature, which I started in 1991, and I kept that for about nine years. And when I could see that that company was really growing growing, and I was going to become a mother. I decided I needed to change the operation so that I had a little bit more protection and I could build a structure around me. And so I went to incorporate the name. Note to listeners, always research your name before you choose it, because I could not incorporate Second Nature. It was owned by a company in our space. So I had to choose another name. And that's how the Garden Continuum was born. And I incorporated in
0: 2000. Awesome. Yeah, that's a really cool path. So today, the Garden Continuum, talk to, you kind of mentioned that y'all have like a unique offering. I'd love to hear like, what do you all specialize in and talk about, you know, I think maybe you mentioned this, but where you're located and if you can, like what what's your team dynamic size look, look like?
1: Okay, sure. So we're located in Massachusetts, middle New England. And uh, as we were talking, you know, like, There's snow in the forecast for Wednesday. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Um, So our season is short and I never had any interest in plowing though. I have done it. We actually gave it up two years ago. Uh, Timing was actually pretty good, but I really just wanted to develop land. I wanted to make things beautiful. And Mm -hmm. so Our company, in a nutshell, what we do is lifescaping. I actually wrote a book called Stop Landscaping, Start Mm Lifescaping. And lifescaping was the term that I chose to encapsulate what we do. We create highly organized, really healthy uh, landscapes that are beautiful. They have wow factor. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: the healthy piece is the core. So health is inherently organized. And so there's this structural organization, but then there's this systemic health organization, which means really following plant science, soil science. And we use what regenerative, the basis of regenerative agriculture, we actually use in landscape. And so our projects are very long game focused. So we're not the company that comes in and, you know, designs and blasts it in and blasts it out and goes away. We're a company that you're going to kind of hunker down and have a long-term relationship with, where we're going to repair the land. oftentimes we're post construction. so there's a lot of damage. so there's a huge effort in reparation. but then there's also if it's a new project, we know we're going to damage it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of effort in the repair and that repair is both structural and biological repair. And then it's just sort of that development of the wild factor. so, A lot of our clients are really long term. It's a small client base because, and and we're also hyper local. So the company operates on a triple bottom line model, which means considerations are always environment, people, profits, that, that stack. Always works that way. You would never put aside the environment or the planet, or put aside the people for the profit. It has to go in that stack. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not perfectly linear. It's kind of circular. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So that's that's in a nutshell, kind of the unique nature of how we do it.
0: That's awesome. And how like how large is your team today? How many oh, people do you have?
1: We have twenty or twenty-two right now. We're just about two million. I've been in revenue, we're profitable, we have cash reserves. And up until the end of November, I was debt-free. I bought a truck. We could have bought in cash, but I wanted the cash to stay nice and loose for the winter and then ordered another truck. But a big, big mindset for me has been to use debt strategically, partly because I made some big mistakes early on and then had to dig out of that, um, Mm -hmm. especially around the, the Great Recession and so it's really about running a planet and people first company so that the profits mm-hmm. are really stable. So revenue size isn't as relevant
0: for me. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I want to talk about just your business's unique model. And you mentioned it having that unique perspective, not only in understanding what you all want to accomplish, but also that uh, really translates into who you work with and the type of partnerships you set up. And I'd love for you to talk through like how you got to that point where you kind of knew exactly what services you all wanted to offer and how did you find a way to connect that and find the right people that were really looking for what you were offering?
1: Yeah. Well, the evolution. So that's a fabulous question. And it really goes back to those basic things, you know, where you're really looking in the mirror, you're becoming more and more self-aware because, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we don't, we don't start our businesses out of the gate, knowing who we are or what we really want (laughs) to do. Right. So when I started out, I started out at a time where the word organic was not flopped around. We weren't talking Mm -hmm. about health in the same ways. And, you know, as uh, the evolution of that system of sustainability, organics, the word climate change, you know, planetary awareness, like all of that, like that just wasn't even part of the conversation in the eighties, at least not a conversation I was a part of, but I was always health focused personally. And so when the environments of the industry started to go that way, Mm -hmm. I, I was really interested and... I was recommended to the conservation commission in my town. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what a conservation commission was. (laughs) I did not know about, maybe I knew about the department of environmental protection, but it wasn't something that was in the front of my mind. I never worried about water conservation. Like I never worried about any of this, but my neighbor thought that I would be great at it. So I, I got the post and I ended up being on that commission for eight and a half years. And it completely changed how I worked and how I thought, because I became a certified conservation commissioner and my whole world, like it just 10 X. It was Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it was huge. And I realized how big this conversation was. And I honestly just couldn't get enough of it. And I have to say that the transition, it's not like, oh, yeah, I found this really nice thing and I'm just going to do it. It was really hard Yeah, because I had to undo a lot of what I did. I had to let people go. I had to fight with people who didn't want me not to use Roundup and who, you know, so so the evolution of it was really hard. And actually, in, on some level, the Great Recession was, you know, it was a great time to reset because mm-hmm. my business really had a lot of trouble at that time. Well, a lot of businesses did. And so when it came time to rebuild, I was able to rebuild in the image that I was really envisioning. And I learned as a CEO and as an owner, how to no longer be apologetic for what I felt. I went into this next iteration was like 2012, like with agency. Mm -hmm. I just knew like I, I was my path was sovereign and I, and I knew it at that point, And I've never looked back.
0: That's really cool. How do you, like, when you say like leading without being apologetic, what did that transition look like to you? Cause I really like that type of thought. Cause I think sometimes leaders feel like they have to defend everything or just like kind of admit that they've got like a lot going on and things slip through, but I, I'd love to hear like, what did that mean for you when you started having those conversations to kind of shift there?
1: Well, without getting too woo woo, I think the you know that the truth is that we all have a shadow self, right? We all mm-hmm. have that that part of us that is our shadow. That is from um, I'm a trauma survivor, so so the things that we say in our own heads that say to us, we are not good enough," and we all have some level of that, whether you have you know documented trauma or whatever. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. We all have it, and so I think being unapologetic is as much not you know, doing this stuff in your own head as it is being able to be in a space of leadership with grace and certainty, Mm -hmm. clarity, and understanding that clarity doesn't mean rightness. Yeah, It means this is right for right now. And I'm clear and I'm dedicated and committed to this right now, understanding that as it evolves, I too will evolve. I too will, you know, I'll look and it's that whole, you know, shoot, aim, shoot, mm-hmm. aim, as opposed to aim, shoot, aim, shoot. Because what ends up happening is when we aim too much, we move into the the paralysis of perfection, but mm-hmm. also a behavior of performance. And it wasn't serving me. I yeah. ended up kowtowing to what other people wanted and realized that I had a culture in my head and and there was a culture. I think it was, it was the people that you talked to I think you said at the end of season five and they had talked about how like their crew culture was different than their culture.
0: Yeah. I I resonated
1: with that. Yeah. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Like you're preaching to the choir. Like, but I had never heard anybody else say that. So it was so cool to hear them say that because that's exactly what was happening. I was Mm -hmm. evolving into a, a kind of leader, but I wasn't actually leading. I was actually letting my, you know, my team kind of, Usurp my leadership, but that's not because they're bad. It's mm-hmm. because I wasn't focused. I wasn't clear. I wasn't, yeah. you know, in my own agency. And so becoming apologetic really means being able to say to somebody, This is my company. This is my vision. These are my values. How does that resonate with you? How do mm-hmm. you feel when you hear those things? Those that are in alignment, I'll be like, "Yeah, I'm with you. I'm there." And those who mm-hmm. aren't, you'll tell, and then you'll say, "So you have a choice: get in alignment, or get out." And that's okay. There's the yeah. door. It's fine. I'll give you a good reference, like, and that mm-hmm. was painful, but just like your other guest said, it's like it's it's transformative.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really cool too, because I think especially if like someone's listening today and there's this thought around people and retaining employees. Like it's, it's a fear of a lot of companies. They feel like they're having to fight to keep their employees. And there's probably a piece of them that listens to the say listens to something like that, whether it's you talking about it or Jeff and Amy a few weeks ago talking about it and they go, that's great. But like, you just don't understand, like, where i'm at right now with employees and i think that's a hard thing for people to wrap their head around to say like yeah like letting go that person because they don't fit what your like plan is can be the best decision you ever make rather than just trying to like strangle them to hold on but i also like can see how someone listening to this podcast would say yeah but you just don't get it like like that's such a hard thing to do
1: It is a hard thing to do, and I honestly believe that part of the definition of leadership is finding comfort and discomfort. Mm -hmm. It's You have to be clear and okay with the fact that leading is not a place of comfort. That's a place of discomfort, Mm -hmm. and you have to make peace with that, and just like Jeff and Amy said, they had to really shrink their revenue, and part of what I see, so I also coach small businesses and I coach small businesses in my space because the industry coaching, isn't really talking about my space that much. They're really talking about lawn and landscape and tree, but Mm -hmm. not the fine gardening, not the regenerative work. And so I'm coaching in that space, but the reality is what I see is that most companies are really spread out and that, you know, they're just, and this is why I love, um, Mm Jack Jostis and his approach so much because we really need to we need to think of marketing as an investment that we make in how we build our company. It's not we market to get business. Like it's it's not an expense. It's actually an investment in the business. And one of the main things that I did to make this easier, and again, remember the Great Recession really helped, right? Because I I didn't have a choice. We just shrunk. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to shrink on purpose. Yeah, but you can do it. We made a decision that we were going to be hyper local. So I put a dot where my company was. Mm-hmm. I made a line to the biggest road. So I had sort of like this crosshairs of our main travel routes, mm-hmm. and then I created a bullseye. And hyper local was my town. Yeah, and then hyper local you know, 2.0 were the towns that touched and we have like eight towns that touch, which is amazing kind of the way it sets up. Yeah. And then we had sort of this outlier that had to meet a certain criteria in order to get into this model. I had to give up about a hundred or so thousand dollars of revenue each year for three years in order to shrink down my travel Mm -hmm. and we 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 let it go, but we we like three x it. Like we mm-hmm. just totally got it back times three. So it's it's about being strategic. It is super hard, but you wouldn't do it all at once. You would do it yeah. like with a strategic mapping in order to do
0: it. Mm-hmm. Nah, I really enjoy that. And you mentioned at the beginning of the show, like people and trusting your people were a huge part of your growth as a business over the last um, 20 plus years. What are some of the key lessons you feel like you've learned, like apart from making sure that they're aligned with what your goal as the leader is? What are some things that really stick out to you when you think about your team and why your people are such a huge part of your success?
1: It, that was a long learning curve the you know initially as owners a lot of times we come into this as technicians you know mm-hmm. sort of like the you know the e-myth whole idea you, you know that we come in as technicians or managers and we do that because we think we'll make more money or have more control you mm-hmm. know because our boss is an idiot and we can do a better kind of thing and that's you know it's common mm-hmm. and um but I, I, and I, I think the problem with that methodology is we, we come in with the technician mind thinking that the way we do it is the right way. And so what invariably happens is we kind of get a chokehold on our people. Like it's like yeah. my way of the highway. So I think the flip of that is to lead with the company values and make sure that there's an alignment there. So we have a, like a flower of values and it's uh planet, people, systems, education, and joy. And that sets the baseline for what we do. And each one of those petals has, um, you know, it, it actually, it it talks about a behavior. Like Mm -hmm. when, when we're, when we're working in planet first, we're always asking the question, is this doing harm? Or is this protecting? Mm -hmm. And if it's doing harm, you got to take two steps back and ask, "How can I protect?" Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so, I believe that the way anybody gets people in alignment is you get clarity about what your values are, you get clarity about what your mission is, and then you teach that, and then you get brave enough to tell people, "Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't that no, right?" Yeah, and then hopefully they want to be mentored. And I actually just gave a talk at our association on Tuesday night last week. And, you know, one of the things that I tried to press upon, it was about recruiting and retention Mm -hmm. was that retention happens when you can mentor critique and celebrate your employees. And you have Mm -hmm. to do it in that sandwich because you can't go and just critique, critique, critique. Even if you think you're giving constructive criticism You have to be mentoring them and you have to be celebrating them. And then you have to teach them how to do it to the next person Mm -hmm. because it can't just be you because you can't do it all, especially if you want to grow. So I think the having great people is about respecting people and understanding Mm -hmm. that trust bonds are built with intention and attention, not being dismissive or avoidant. And, and, and then they blow you out of the water. I actually got really, really sick a couple of weeks ago, like the week before Thanksgiving. I haven't been sick in like 10 years (laughs) and I was sick. And I, I called out on Monday and, and when I called out, I knew I wasn't going to be able to be in on Tuesday, Mm -hmm. but I thought for sure I'd be back in on Wednesday. I wasn't in for a whole week and my assistant ended up getting sick too. So she was out and I'll tell you my team, they didn't skip a beat. They figured it out. They kept me home. They actually brought me stuff, you know, like it was, I couldn't have, I, you know, it's like, God bless them.
0: Yeah. It's awesome. That's kind of just shows that your team is able to just respond to like, they're not that, that to me, like whenever you like hear of a situation like that, it's clear that you have a group of people that know how to respond to challenges. And like, you don't, they don't need to have their hand held through them either. It's like, they just, they go and do, and then they don't, (laughs) that's the perfect scenario right there.
1: Yeah. And I just want to add that one of the things that's like really important about that is they don't come that way. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I work on a lot in my coaching is that because we, because in my space, there's so much science behind it. People in my space are really looking for people that are skilled. So if you find somebody that's a really good horticulturalist, they're often not great people, people, Mm -hmm. like they're plant people, not people, people. And so you've got to understand as a CEO that you are going to bring somebody in for that one high value thing that you are so interested in. And then you're going to ask the question, are they coachable? Are they going to accept mentoring? Are they willing to look in the mirror and evolve themselves. And then you must invest in in that evolution. And so my job now as the CEO is I am the gardener of people. Mm -hmm. That's my job. I cultivate the development of people, which is not being a gardener of plants, right? So I think even if you're not the one as a CEO that is going to do it, that's the way we get over this recruiting hurdle is that we stop trying to find this perfect match perfect person that's going to get it right out of the gate you've got to develop them
0: yeah i really love that point too cuz that like that definitely translates to your space where you're recruiting and, and other businesses that you coach a highly skilled person that has a passion about horticulture and you're right like they are plant people but that translates to so many different roles as well people are going to a job per, most of the time, a unique reason why it interests them in the tree care space. It's probably because they're passionate maybe about climbing as a, as a climber. Like that's what they love. You're probably going to have to teach them other aspects of the job that are equally as important as being a super skilled climber. They can evolve, but they have to have that like coachable mindset. Same deal as well. Like you have to, the, the salesman for your team he's probably passionate about selling and that comes with a certain set of traits. You probably need to coach him on like the teamwork side of things. Cause he's used to being an individual contributor that can right. do exactly what he wants. And it's not the reality of a great team. Same thing with landscape, like a design build manager is probably passionate about building beautiful backyards and He's going to have to be skilled in other areas as well. Right. I really like that point because mm-hmm. it translates across all, all green industry businesses, whether it's your space or the general tree care space or landscape, but, and even lawn care for that matter. You, yeah. you can hire towards a specific passion and towards coachability and kind of help. It, it happens over time. It's not like after even a year, you can look at it and go, oh, they're perfect now. It's, it's a it's a process
1: yeah i tell i teach the new recruits they're kind of in that newbie space for two mm-hmm. years because the first year they're they're just drinking from the fire hose they're just trying to figure out how to be comfortable and how to get that sense that they're bringing value and then i think in year 2 they're starting to feel that they belong and in that belonging they kind of let their hair down and And actually some of their flaws come out a little bit more. And so Mm. you can work on them a little bit more. And it's when you get into that three year that you really get like the punch of that person. Like you really get that investment back. And I think one of the retention issues that I see is that at that three year mark, the owner turns their head away from them and then goes to the next new ones. And it's really important to stay with people because I think between that three and five, that's where you lose people. So it's like you lo- you can lose them between one and two as well, but it's different. It's like you're, you're identifying something's wrong in that yeah. space. Whereas when you lose them between three to five, it's often because they're forgotten because now the honeymoon's over and you're not paying attention anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Humans are are tricky. We need attention. And so like one of the things I think is really important is you always weaving in those one on ones you know with your direct manager and with your CEO and not every company you know some companies are really really big but right now i still do one on ones with every single person in my company at least once a year we mm-hmm. have reviews for like my direct team three times a year they review their team twice a year like it just it feels like it eats up a lot of time and it does it does take away from like the hours of revenue but they make it so that if god forbid you as a ceo ever needed to check out Your people have your back. They have Mm -hmm. your company. And that's priceless.
0: Yeah, it's interesting the timeline you talked about of like the first two years being like a big, like just continual improvement process. Because I feel like the first two years were kind of like it's on the employee, right? Like Part of the thing is like they're proving that they're up up to snuff and that they can do the tasks. But then it seems kind of like years three to five, like it's on the employer. It's like, all right, you've proven you can do the work. Now we're creating processes for you to be continually engaged and, and to enjoy working here and to be noticed. Cause it really is like, there is, I feel like a shift there. Cause like, once you get that person confident and comfortable in the role, at that point, it's kind of the employer's job to like make it worth staying for longer.
1: Right. You've got to have a good company. You've got to have a company that believes that the people, I mean, look at we in this industry, you can't do anything without your people. So why Mm -hmm. would you ignore them?
0: Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. interesting too, though, because like, it sounds like for you, when you think about like recruiting and retention, is it one of those things where you feel like it's a worry for you or are you confident in the process that you have in place?
1: that's a great question. I, I, you know, in 2021, I think it was actually a worry because it was really weird at the beginning of this year because like nobody wanted to work. Like it was just really, really weird. So I think we were worried, but I think I immediately, I'm incredibly resilient and I'm actually really good in crisis. So we immediately went into innovative mode Mm -hmm. and we started to innovate. We started to think outside the box. I actually did a whole podcast with Jack Jossis on on Ramblin' Jackson about how we 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 just tried all these different methods to get people in through the door, and we had to think outside the industry.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it was amazingly successful, and we learned a lot too. Like Ooh. we tried on things that were like, okay, we're never doing that again. You know, <laughs> uh, it's not perfect right out of the gate, but I think it's a willingness to take a risk through innovation and then do the you know the john maxwell fail forward like you know mm-hmm. take it learn from it decide what you did right decide what you did wrong it's never throwing it all out usually it's throwing out a piece and then amplifying another piece so i think for me worry is very very short lived because mm-hmm. i am an innovator and a creator in spirit and my my gift is to see the divine order in chaos and that happens when crisis happens. Yeah, and I'm I'm blessed because my team has now entrusted me with that gift. They know I have that gift, so when I say, "Okay, this is what we're going to try," may not work, but y'all game? And they're like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, we'll try cool. it."
0: Yeah, the re- I think the reason I asked the question is when I taught. Talk- Obviously, podcasts about the green industry, recruiting and retention gets brought up like, if not every episode, every other episode, because it's just (laughs) what everybody loves to talk about or complain about. And it's interesting because you hear like the wide gamut of things, right? Obviously, this past year, to your point, really unique in the sense that it wasn't even, you weren't just competing with other companies to hire people out. You were competing against the lack of working for like really the first time ever. Like people didn't want Jobs because they didn't need, they really didn't need them from a lot of perspectives. But that aside, it seems like people that are having a similar approach to you that are willing to recognize, like, look, job markets changed. We have to be meeting potential employees in a ton of different ways. I honestly feel like when I talk to people on the podcast about it, there is a pretty large group of people that they almost consider it their competitive advantage at this point. Cause they're like, yeah, we're doing everything we can to bring in new people and mm-hmm. also keep them happy. And like, we feel great about it cause we're hustling and, and making it work. And it seems like if you kind of have that approach and you're willing to be innovative, like there's a lot of other companies in the space that aren't doing that and other industries that are, aren't changing their ways.
1: I agree. And part of what I talked about at this, Session that I taught on Tuesday at the Massachusetts Association of Landscape Professionals was, you know, I I told, there was like a hundred something people in the room and I'm like, look around you. I bet half of you think, if not more than half of you think that everybody in this room is your competition. I'm telling you that sure we compete, but we're the best competition out there. We're exactly who we want to be competing with the same way like antique stores will line up on one street it's because they are the best competition and when you have really great competition all of the people that you all of your you know potential people are coming there and what we have to worry about is the fact that we're competing with Amazon and McDonald's mm-hmm. and you know that 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 there's a mentality shift that there's a mindset shift generationally and so we've got to restore the faith and the belief in how just Honorable, the work is that we do, and to mm-hmm. to to do that, we have to do the work honorably.
0: Yeah, I and like that a lot.
1: That's, I think, an important piece of the equation.
0: Yeah, I agree with that, and that's one of the things that I feel like it's brought up too is a lot of other businesses outside of the green industry don't have the opportunity to like sell what the green industry does like there's a result involved like you leave a job site and it's changed and i think there's like a whole big picture of you have to be in tune with why you're doing the work and be able right. to sell that to, to potential employees which i think is what you're getting at
1: absolutely and you do the same thing with your clients right so you yeah. had asked earlier about how you get your ideal clients that's the other piece right so the the same work that you do to attract the employees you want you're doing to attract the clients you want. And it really is marketing on both sides. It's marketing yeah. and we can't do the marketing if we don't know ourselves.
0: Yeah. That, that really brings it full circle yeah. <laughs> to, to the start <laughs> of the conversation. I have two questions that I want to ask before we wrap up the show okay. here. I always kind of like asking this question and I think it just Based off of our conversation so far, I think it'll be pretty interesting to hear your response. But over the course of like the last 20 plus years of running Garden Continuum since you incorporated, what do you feel like has been, you know, a failure that you've had that's really kind of shaped where you are today um, in the business?
1: I think the biggest failure was that I I gave away my power to managers in my company Mm -hmm. because, I believed that somebody would rescue me. Like I believed that like a hire would save me, you know, that somebody would know something and that would make my life easier and it would rescue me. And I'll never forget. I had a a subcontractor, a sales rep actually say to me one day, I was feeling really low. And he said, you know, nobody's coming to save you. Yeah. You have to save yourself. And it was like he took a three pound sledge and hit me in the head with it. Like I was like, ah, you know, and it was I realized that I had really gone down this place of just hiding, you know, just mm-hmm. being an avoidant, more of an avoidant as opposed to meeting things head on and and being you know, it's it's like being afraid that someone's going to tell you that you're crazy for doing it the way you want to do it. But the truth yeah. is they always tell me I'm crazy for doing it the way I want to do it. So why not just embrace it yeah. and know that that's who I am and it put me in a lot of pain because you know, I would I would all of a sudden have no one, no one, you know, to help mm-hmm. me. So it it all happened kind of in one fell swoop and I lost a lot of people at one time. But I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for the world because it was a real kick in the pants and Mm -hmm. I had to, I had to grow up.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. (laughs) Last question before we wrap up the show and always like to kind of finish this for you, like, obviously we're about to wrap up 2021, been a crazy year for a lot of people, but what kind of comes next for you and what are you most excited about with your business or maybe with what you're doing in the coaching sphere?
1: in my business my you know my my flagship business the landscape business i'm actually believe it or not i'm actually really excited about team building we have a whole set of winter educational events going on that we've built but then you know built internally but then also cobbled together things from the outside so i already have january february and march all mapped out
2: mm-hmm. and
1: i feel really really good about that and very very excited about how my people will develop, because I really do believe they're going to crush it next year. They're just going to do such a great job. And I'm excited about who we'll bring in. That'll be kind of cool. And in the coaching space, I'm, I'm really excited about the clients that I'm working with right now. I'm still bringing on people for 2022 Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: I'm becoming more and more focused on my space. And I love working with people who are trying to do this triple bottom line business that are yeah. really thinking about regenerative work and sustainable work and helping them make money. Because what's so interesting to me is that these incredibly big hearted, super, super smart people, they're not making the money that they, they need to be making. And mm-hmm. so I, I just love seeing them increase their revenue. We had people increasing their revenue this year. One of the one of the common threads is, strangely enough, a lot of them, when they first start out with me, they end up getting rid of toxic people. Yeah, um, It's like giving them the permission to clean it up inside. So I'm really excited about reaching more people with the coaching.
0: That's awesome. Well, Monique, we've had an awesome episode today. I've really enjoyed getting to uh, talk with you just about your company's unique perspective but also your unique perspective while your kind of path towards being a really self aware leader and building out your team. So thanks so much for sitting down with us and talking through all of that today I'm kind of excited to follow along and see what you all do over the next year.
1: Wonderful. well thank you very much and um, I want to invite you and everyone who's listening to follow me on Instagram monique.allen. I talk about this stuff all the time. I just I love that platform where I go live every Saturday afternoon it's just fun to connect with people who are interested in that space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Monique, thank you so much. We really enjoyed it. We'll have to have you back on sometime soon.
1: Yay! Awesome. Thank you so much, Ty. This is fun. Yeah,
0: thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Green Industry Perspectives presented by Single Ops. If you got some value out of this episode, drop us a five-star review on your favorite streaming platform. And don't forget to become a pro member of the podcast at singleops.com slash podcast. As a pro member, you'll get notified of each new episode, access to exclusive bonus content, and be entered in to win some great prizes. Thanks, and don't forget to tune in next week.